Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company offer flexible budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast. The title of today's show is Verstappen Ends Up on Top. That title supplied by It's L again on Twitter. I can't believe no one went for Rick Demption. I'm your host, Richard Spanners Ready. Thank you so much for the kind messages in the week. Not just because of my something, something birthday, but because, as you can probably hear, like many of you out there, we've had COVID in our house. So thank you so much for all the morale boosting messages and the entertainment on Twitter and Slack groups and stuff as I've been bored in bed, just spamming everybody with messages. Thankfully, double jabbed and in generally good health as well. Uh, That thing, that COVID thing, it has teeth and it has not been fun. So I hope you are uh, all taking this seriously. Maybe just avoid hugging your nan for a bit again. And uh, shaking hands is weird anyway. Why Why must you press your hand against mine? But hopefully we've got a good show ahead. And I'll just say if I seem a bit off, there is some lingering fatigue. I'm wearing a black t-shirt specifically because I am just sweating like a boil in the bag spanners at any exertion. Um, and I'm hoping that this will cover my sins. But thankfully, if anything goes wrong, I'm joined by Matt Do. Rumpets. How's it going there, Matt? Well, if I'm going to be honest, I have to say I'm slightly annoyed at this point. I mean, first of all, you go and get sick. Yeah. And then we have the race today, all in an attempt to steal my sheer and utter glory at being featured on the Alonzo documentary on Amazon Prime. And as we all know, Alonzo is my favorite, favorite driver ever and has never been in a Twitter war with any of my friends. Nope. No, no, none of your friends have deliberately goaded Fernando Alonso on Twitter, which does seem an effective and possible thing to do. But the documentary is called Fernando. It's on Amazon Prime. You feature on episode four of season two at two minutes in. Go and check it out. uh, You know, one minute 50 in. They basically are using clips of newsreels and people saying, you know, things and reporting things at the time. And there's a clip about you talking about Fernando Alonso's biking accident and i will say in the middle of that clip matt i go yeah so i'm in it as well 
Yes, and it was an incredibly effective and dramatically placed yeah, which I'm convinced is why they took our clip. And sorry for forgetting to tell you a few months back that I had signed a release allowing them to use your <laughs> voice on the documentary. We are an independent podcast produced in the podcasting shed with the kind permission of our better halves. We aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first. <laughs> We are also joined in the shed by our race analyst, Brad Philpott. How's it going, Brad? It's going okay, Spanos. I've brought with me two Italian beers um, in celebration of the Italian Grand Prix, and I think I'm going to need them because there's a lot to talk about. Somebody in uh, our live Slack chat, hello Slack chat, said, yay, Brad's here. I enjoy his race analysis. And I think people do like your breakdowns of racing incidents. And we've got a handful today to talk about. We've got a handful and we've got a particularly important one. So, yeah, looking forward to getting stuck into it and giving my um, unfiltered opinion. We're also joined by Danish broadcaster, radio presenter, TV man, producer and uh, man around town, Christian Pedersen. How's it going, Christian? It's been a good day. It was a really, really nice race. Basically, it was a race that gave us everything a Formula One race could give us, essentially. It it treated us to probably the closest racing in the end that we've seen like in a top five, top six for, for years now. And not only that, you were, uh, while you had the two championship contenders, fourth and fifth, it was still exciting. And you didn't know when someone was going to overtake and if they were going to overtake. And that was pretty much going on the entire race, which was just high adrenaline all the way through. So I think the last time you, you looked to a season where there were championship contenders, but everybody was kind of in it, and had a chance at taking glory, well, you look at like 2010, 2012, those kind of eras, don't you? And I think we've not had that really from 2014 until maybe last season where we're seeing like random winners popping up. That's what I mean. You have a double McLaren victory with the Ricciardo redemption included, and it was all well-deserved. It wasn't given to them by a freak accident anyway. It was just, they drove that victory, which is just, it turns everything around and you have the two title contenders out of there. It's perfect mix. So as is the tradition here at Missed Apex podcast, when there is a big event, we focus in on that first before looking at the rest of the race, before looking at qualifying, where the race was won and lost, things like the sprint format. And actually, it was a bit of a toss-up today. What was that big ticket event was it the the crash between max verstappen and lewis hamilton well that's getting kind of boring now every time they get on track together there's some kind of contact or is it the equally big ticket event of a mclaren one two so we'll probably just go on social media buzz and select the max verstappen lewis hamilton contact at first we're going to address that first and then we're going to loop back and we'll we'll look at where the race was won and lost but very much from a McLaren perspective. How did McLaren secure that one too? So we're going to be talking about this incident. And uh, I think there is a range of opinions uh, amongst our panel here. But I, I want to start, I want to set the scene by saying there are two different aspects to this. And nudge or shake your heads vigorously if you disagree with me. But there is the circumstances of the racing element, how they ended up occupying the same bit of racetrack and you know what the stewards ruled on, how they got there, who should have done what. And then and then I think there's a separate there's a separate thing, which is why did it become a crash? Why did it become a potentially serious crash and the outcome of that crash? So I think we'll concentrate on the racing bit first, Brad, since you're here. 
we may as well utilize your skills, might we? <laughs> uh, how, how should this play out? How should this have played out? So you and I have, have talked about this kind of maneuver a lot. And it's a very common maneuver in like indoor karting with lots of like left, right chicanes. It's where you are, you're, you're fighting for one corner and then another corner is quickly on top of it. But also we've had the situations like uh, the Red Bull ring with Norris and Perez. I think you and I have always been fans of if there's a car there and by there, a lot of the time we're talking about the outside on the exit. If there's a car there, you can't move into that space. However... In F1, that has been almost universally ignored against like you and me screaming into the internet. Yeah. So the tricky thing here is what I, who I think was at fault here or, or how I think this particular incident played out and the merits of it today kind of fly in the face of my personal opinions on how these things should be judged. Because my opinion, as you were just making out there, on what should be allowed isn't how Formula One tends to police itself. So just to try and be a bit more clear about this, I don't think if somebody has an overlap on you, you should be allowed to drive straight to an apex, for example. So in this situation with Verstappen and Hamilton, personally, I think in that situation, if you're in the Verstappen position, although this is quite a specific example because it's a very tight corner, but let's just talk in general. If you've got a kind of overlap that Verstappen had, I don't think you should be allowed to drive to the apex um, when there's a car alongside you like that. However, in Formula One in recent years and in this very race, earlier in the race, particularly with Verstappen, because we're focusing on him a lot because he's often at the front and, you know, a championship contender. So the cameras are on him. So this may happen down the field as well, but it is almost always judged to be completely fine. So a precedent has been set many, many times, whether we're looking at Imola this year, Barcelona this year as well, I think. Obviously, turn four was it, the second chicane in this race today. Yep. There were cars alongside Max, and in all those instances, it was Lewis Hamilton. Um, and they were deemed to have to get out of the damn way when Max decided he wanted the apex. So he was on the racing line or or on the high ground, and he was able to just drive to the apex, yeah. drive right to the white line, and it was up to the other car to jump off the circuit. So although I don't like that, And personally, if it was Brad's Formula One championship, all of those would have been (laughs) penalised. In modern Formula One, they are not deemed as penalty worthy and that is deemed to be a fair move. And that is precisely the move that Hamilton did to Verstappen. Now, what we've been consistently against what what has been deemed kind of the Verstappen manoeuvre in the last couple of years, but I think we've been consistent on that even going back to Hamilton versus Rosberg because Hamilton would do that to Rosberg all the time on chicanes so they'd be side by side like montreal and then he would just go to the second apex and then it's well tough luck you know off you go and we were always screaming for rosberg just hold your line just hold your line but the reality is if you hold your line in those positions because the 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 car that's moving to the outside never gets penalized all you're really doing is putting yourself uh, in a position to crash so drivers like perez today against signs like Hamilton at Imola at turn four will inevitably head for the exit to avoid the crash because they know that the other driver is not penalised for it. I think, Matt, uh, it does lead us into a slightly interesting argument about what is leaving space. So feel free to come in with the point you were going to make. But you and I have have talked, interestingly, I think, before about what constitutes leaving space. 
Yeah, well, I, I just wanted to clarify from, from my point of view, it seemed like to me the rule was always that the car with the wheels ahead was granted permission to draw whatever lanes they wanted to on the exit and that the car behind would have to accommodate that to the point at which the car is pushed all the way off the circuit. Christian, jump in. So in this situation, I think uh, 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 the last maybe one and a half year, uh, the precedent has been set, sort of. Yeah. Uh, so, so I want to make the point that uh, everyone probably has gone to kindergarten or has had kids recently and has been rebranded with this horrible experience of just one kid walking around hitting all the other kids. And then suddenly one day, one of the kids hits back. And the guy who hit initially will be like, why he's hitting me? And that is how you learn. That is basically how life works. And and this was inevitable. Someone had to do this to to Max, the way Max Verstappen drives. I love the way he drives. I love how he's aggressive and he goes for all the spaces. But in this case and in the, all the other cases, in, in Imola and stuff like that, it, if Hamilton had chosen just to hit back, Max would have cried equally, and I think that is that is what this has to be the the product of. So FIA or race stewards and yeah. the, or whoever makes this decision has to make a precedent now, and they, they did that with the, the penalty today. I'm not sure if it's the right penalty, but they did something at least. They did, and Christian, you just reminded me that this is a game we play. Whose fault exactly. is it? It's a game called Whose Fault Is It. I, I put a survey up on Twitter, which was said, you know, who's who caused the crash is the question I put on Twitter. And it was about two thirds Lewis and a third Max Verstappen. But people were complaining at me who were saying, why isn't there a third option of racing incident? Well, the the reason racing incidents do not feature in this game or any of our polls is because of my toxic marriage. In my relationship, we have a 100% blame culture in our house. So even if... And Matt and Brad have met my wife. They know this is true. Even if the house was on fire, we would have to establish whose fault it was, who set the fire, who could have prevented it. And then once we realize it's my fault, then we could rescue the hard drives, the computers, and I suppose a child or a cat as well. In In the form of this show, not just going, oh, it's a racing incident, allows us to explore the in and outs of the sport we love, which is why we don't have racing incidents. Uh, But Brad, Christian there, he makes a... You know, an interesting point, it marries up with you talking about precedent, which is these things are governed and ruled going forward by what the stewards decide. And I think it's a it's a it's a little bit of a a, a significant decision from the stewards. Yeah, well, essentially, they're backing all their previous decisions, which is is fine. I don't like it. I'd rather they had been consistently penalizing it the other way around yes. from the beginning. Yeah, but at least they are today staying consistent with their previous decisions because if today had been deemed to be purely a racing incident or maybe Lewis was at fault, then that essentially says every time Max has done this to someone else, that other driver didn't actually need to get out of the way. They could have stayed there. Lewis could have stayed there at Imola. Lewis could have stayed there on lap one today. And if Max had driven to the apex and they'd had a crash, it would have been Max's fault. And up until now, it's never been judged to be Max's fault. Never. He's always been allowed to do this maneuver. So I, I just can't see how it could possibly be judged based on those precedents to not have been Max's fault today in in the reverse situation where he was the one attacking. 
A couple of years ago, we had this uh, Max Verstappen moving a bit on the braking situation where yeah. the stewards had to set a precedent as well. And uh, we have to remember that Max Verstappen is now the second time around doing things that makes the whole circus have to rethink itself. And that says a lot about a driver as it well. Does, yeah. We don't don't forget that. Oh, oh, look, Max Verstappen, Brad, has 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 redefined racing and F1 and support. He's He's done a lot of things to change the face of F1. I don't deny that he's been exciting. And actually, when you're when you're fighting for uh, non-championship winning positions, you you almost let someone who's who's kind of getting in the mix and yeah. making things exciting. You kind of let them get away with some of these what could potentially be uh, indiscretions. But when it is all every weekend for a championship, fighting for the win or fighting against the other person who is or the only other person who is challenging for the championship, they do need to be the moves need to be scrutinized more clearly yeah. um and consistently and with a bit more of a a critical eye and and I think we've got an answer today I think we now know what is definitely allowed what is not allowed but I really want to dig down into the we specifics <laughs> of this particular one because yep. I actually think this is this is a very specific example where Max might have been a bit more naughty than previous occasions. Oh, absolutely. I totally agree. Yeah, we will do. And uh, I've got a time limit in my head, so don't worry. We will be definitely focusing a lot on the McLaren. Uh, fantastic, sensational victory as well. Uh, Matt, you and I talked a lot about what constitutes space because a lot of people will be listening and going, hey, what about Norris penalised in, in Austria against Sergio Perez? And it was you that said to me, well, hang on, leaving space means different things depending on where you put the driver. So if you're putting them onto grass, well, you need to leave them a full width. However, like today, Lewis left enough space for Max to keep one wheel on the tarmac. Is that leaving space? Well, it's an interesting question. Uh, The question being, do you need to leave a full car's width or the traditional, I'm not off track from Formula One, which is one of my wheels is on the white line. As long as one of my wheels is on the white line, I'm not technically off the track. Now, I've always generally been of the view that it's the latter definition that mostly holds, with the exception of, like you said, grass or walls or things like that, in which case, clearly, you need to leave room for the whole car. Anyone who's watched races at Monza, whether it's Formula One or Formula Two this weekend, will also have seen that this particular corner is a very, very specific, extremely tight corner where they even have a painted area for you to drive through when it when it becomes obvious you can't make the apex because someone who is on the line Max was on at the point where he was squeezed up against the, the second apex, so the left-hand apex, a, a car of the size of a Formula One car and with the amount of steering lock they have physically cannot get round that corner on that line without using a significant part of the track in the left-hander. They have to run very, very wide. So Lewis leaving one car's width on the exit wouldn't be even nearly sufficient for Max to actually make the corner. And he would have known full well that that's the case and should definitely have at that point aborted and driven through the pre-made escape route, which is there. And I don't mean the one with the, the polystyrene bollards. I no. mean the one which is for people who know they're not really going to be able to make it through the left apex. Yeah. Yet he decided to try and stay on the track there knowing that contact was absolutely inevitable. And if you look at the point where they really made the major contact, Lewis is a a car and a half's width away from the inside at that point. And Max still can't make the corner. 
because it's physically impossible for the cars to do that, which is why this extra escape route is there. So anyway, sorry, uh, sorry, Matt, to to interrupt your point. Well, let's hear from Christian uh, first, then we'll get Matt back to Matt just, to steer the ship. I just have a short question for Bradley. Uh, that I, I saw a bit of, um, as a racing star, a driver, you can probably, I'm not a racing driver, but you are, so I hope you can uh, testify to this. Uh, sometimes you go for an overtake, you know, it, it's not there. There's maybe 10, 15, 20% chance, chance that you're going to make it, but you still go for it because you just go for it. I, I saw that today in that move. That w- there was no way that was ever going to work in, if you've looked at it realistically. Bradley? Uh, oh. So just to very quickly answer Christian's point, um, I, I think it's more a case of there comes a point where you know it's definitely not going to work, but actually the consequences of it not working in your mind justify keeping your nose stuck in there anyway. And exactly. you know that, that contact, it, even though it is inevitable, if both of you are out of the race, actually you've probably lost nothing and probably actually gained something if you think it likely that your championship rival is maybe going to pull some points on you. Yeah. Because, you know, it's a one-stop race and we're past the pit stops and it was looking likely that Hamilton was going to pull to away the, at yeah. that point. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. That's okay, Matt. Uh, Ralph Schumacher was quoted by the Sky team as saying, well played <laughs> about Max Verstappen, you know, suggesting that what Brad was talking about, you know, well, if he gets past, you've lost your seven points anyway, assuming that, that he's going to win, may as well chuck it in. Yes. Well, I, starting with, I don't think Hamilton was going to win at that point because uh, I think Ricardo was already ahead of him. Uh, aside from that, the interesting thing to me about this is when I first looked at it, I thought there are two basic questions for the stewards. Was enough space left? Was Max deserving of any room into turn one? And, and he was alongside enough that they said room was deserved. And then the next question is, did Hamilton leave him the legally required room? And he did. But we never made it really to the apex of the second turn because the contact happened once Max hit the sausage curb. And psychologically, I think this is interesting and speaks to what Christian brought up. Max was on full tilt, full speed, coming up and catching and beginning to pass Hamilton into that turn. And I, from a psychological point of view, can very easily see anyone convincing themselves with that kind of an overspeed that they, that they, that it's going to time out that I'm going to be able to get in there, hang in the inside and, and be ahead. Like, like, I think, I don't think he, in reality could have done that. Don't get me wrong, but I can absolutely see me as an athlete racing, convincing myself that that's what's going to happen. Because so, remember, yeah. we have hindsight and a whole lot of extra time to make these judgments. Whoa, are you saying that it's harder for them to make the decision than it is for us watching the replay obsessively over and over again to validate our pre-existing biases? How dare you? How dare you, sir? However, a decision did come from the stewards, and I know Brad wants to get in-depth into the specific incident, and I do too, because it's a lot of stuff we've talked about on the iRacing podcast when it comes to wheel-to-wheel battling. So just very briefly, I think the last paragraph is the most interesting one. The stewards observed on CCTV footage that the driver of car 14 was driving an avoiding line. Although his position caused 33 to go onto the curb. But further, the stewards observed that car 33 was not at all alongside car 44 until significantly into the entry into turn one. The stewards, the opinion of the stewards is this manoeuvre was attempted too late by Max Verstappen 
uh, too late for him to have quote, the right to racing room. Whilst car 44 could have steered further from the curb to avoid the instance, the stewards determined the position was reasonable and therefore find that 33 was predominantly to blame uh, for the incident. Now, this is really interesting, Brad, because we've talked about this. Where, when do you have to yield? Because people talk about being alongside all the time, but then you surprised me with uh, a whose fault is this? I think in Hockenheim. Years ago, we're going back a couple of years now. Anyway, it was um, some, it was Lewis Hamilton uh, or Hulkenberg down the inside, throwing it down the inside. And I said, well, he just appeared there. And you said to me, well, tough. If a car appears there, <laughs> you have to deal with that. He still exists. Uh, but at what point as the driver, when you're making a decision to turn, so Hamilton makes his decision of what line to pick, at what point do you then abandon what you're doing because of a car coming through and go, ah, well, uh, actually... I have to, well, I can't brake more. I've already committed to my braking point. So how do I turn tighter? How does all that work? Yeah, so it is very situation specific. And again, my personal view on this isn't necessarily how these have been policed up until now. So it's kind of a mixture of the two that I'm going to tell you now. But I think essentially once the driver ahead is committed to a trajectory and, and that trajectory is causing a wedge, which is essentially about to become smaller than the width of a car, it's too late to arrive on the scene. So I've watched over and over the onboard from both of the cars in this particular situation. And turn one at Monza is a very tight corner, which in these cars, as I mentioned before, is very difficult to go through on uh, different lines other than the ideal or close to the ideal line. Mm. Verstappen essentially only gets a significant overlap when he's already off the track. So in order to, in order to have a significant portion of his car alongside uh, Hamilton's, He's had to effectively drive off onto the green paint. And at that point, Hamilton's way too committed to, to making the left corner to then account for Verstappen. There's not really, I know in the stewards notes there, they mentioned that Hamilton could have left some more room, but effectively he wasn't obliged to. I don't think he could have left enough more room that there wouldn't be contact. So I, I think in some situations, wider parts of different tracks, there would be scope for Verstappen to arrive that late and he would be entitled to more room. But in this particular geometry of corner, which is very, very tight and quite narrow, um, where the driver who's going around the outside of turn one and then the inside of turn two has a very compromised line, you have to have more of your car alongside earlier in order to be allowed or, or to justify entitled, yeah. being yeah. entitled, yeah, being entitled to that extra space. And in this case, Verstappen didn't have that. He just didn't have it. Christian. Uh, if you look at the the, the difference in uh, angle of degree, you can s probably say 45 degree difference. Uh, Hamilton was already going onto the straight. And even if there wasn't like a small bollard, that would still have been an incident. So that brings us on to the kind of incidenty bit, Matt. And I, I think I think we are torn on the, the whole whose fault is it from a racing point of view. I mean, I, I think Brad is painting the picture that you know, perhaps it was um, an optimistic uh, uh, no, Do you know how I would put it? I would say it was a, a very aggressive and great attempt at that overtake. If, if he had pulled that off, if Hamilton had seen him earlier, tightened up, and then Verstappen had managed to get himself around the inside, we'd be talking about this as one of the great F1 overtaking moves. So, so it's hard to begrudge the move, even if I'm agreeing with you, that I that, that I that I think it was him to blame, Brad. Quickly, Brad, and then Matt. 
uh, just on on your point there, I just think everything you just said there is is asking Hamilton to effectively totally give up a corner yeah. very early despite being completely ahead. Yeah. And I just can't imagine us having this yeah. conversation about Verstappen allowing Hamilton <laughs> anything like that. Hamilton would need to be significantly ahead before Verstappen would ever consider giving up a corner. And in this situation, I can't believe there are some people on social media saying that Hamilton should have just given yielded. up yeah. the corner effectively, despite being entirely on the high ground and being totally ahead and the driver on the inside having effectively no chance of making the corner without the the driver ahead totally compromising their line. So, Matt, had Lewis Hamilton yielded there at turn one, he would be the only driver who I can, you know, certainly this weekend who would have done that at turn one. Every other driver who's had the opportunity to go turn one apex, turn two apex and block it off has taken that opportunity. So wishful thinking maybe to think that Hamilton would have done that. And and But I will say like Hamilton was aware what he was doing. He was shutting the door into the apex of, of turn two. He knew what he was doing. This scenario has been building up and building up and building up. And you could just see, you, you just knew he was going to hold this. If this was last season... He's going to do everything he can to get out of his way. Maybe even earlier in the season. But this move, this was always going to be Hamilton Verstappening Verstappen. Yeah, it was. And it was, to a certain extent, um, forced by the, by the sausage curve. I mean, I think it's not worth overlooking that had a different configuration of curbing been there, the possibility that Max and... Lewis at least would have made it both through the turn without colliding existed. I don't think Max would have come out ahead had he avoided hitting Hamilton. Yeah. I think I would agree with Brad in that. If he slowed the car down enough, Hamilton would have decidedly had the advantage on exit. But there's no doubt that clouding that curb, which I remember Ricardo saying, you know, the thing with it is that you don't know you're going to hit it until it's almost too late to avoid it. When you're coming from an angle like that in a post-race interview, when they first showed him the incident, it, it, it's, it's again, that curb was not an insignificant factor in the result that we saw, but doesn't mean that it's not on Max at that point. It's not his responsibility to, it, it means it is still his responsibility to avoid the accident. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. Stuart Neal in our uh, Slack chat reminds me that we have had eerie, eerie silence from from Christian Horner on the, the subject of who should pay for the damage. But this is the <laughs> bit where I actually, I did get a bit upset and I had to sort of remove myself from social media and, and delete a lot of tweets, is that at the time, it seemed obvious to me that, that Max kind of knew at one point that it was done. So he was off the track. It's an impossible angle. It's the point at which Ricardo had lifted in the sprint race. We will talk about the sprint race later, by the way. It's the point that Ricardo had given up. It's the point in those chicanes where the initial outside car ends up kind of giving up as they become the inside car on the second apex. And he still kept his, he still kept his foot in. And from where he was just about nearly off the track to the point of contact over the sausage curb, there was no real attempt to go left he was not slowing down to make sure he could go his trajectory was always heading straight through to to lewis hamilton and uh, toto wolf's accusation was of a professional foul which it felt like a good description at the time and when i tweeted reckless i still stand by it it wasn't about the incident itself 
because as we've said, I could go either way on 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 whose fault that was. As long as we're consistent on the rule of what we're allowed to do, I can go either way on that. The precedent is that Hamilton can do what he did. But it was that bit, once the battle was done, that's the bit that upset me. And this is the bit, Brad, where Max Verstappen's mentality can be concerning because he because it felt like a snap you know tilt you know when a poker player he loses a, a big bet so then he throws in all the rest of his chips because he's upset this felt to me Max Verstappen lost that corner he went on tilt he went into Lewis Hamilton that's that's the bit that upsets me that's the bit that's going to get me horrible emails and fee- matt at mistapex.net for, for your <laughs> emails hey <laughs> Brad. and and what completely gave that away in the moment was Max's radio message and that's what you get when you don't leave space, which could not have been yeah. more obvious of, well, I'm staying here and he can, if he crashes into me, we crash. It's just entirely indicative of Max's, uh, Max's attitude of, if I'm the car on the outside, you've got to leave me space. If I'm the car on the inside, you've got to jump out of my way. And if you don't, we're going to crash because that's what you get if you don't leave space. And it is a toxic horrendous racing attitude that frankly I'm sick of and we will not have good racing at the front in Formula One whilst Max Verstappen is one of the drivers at the front all the while he gets away with this ridiculous attitude Max Verstappen doesn't own the entire racetrack I try to be quite neutral on these podcasts and and I'm sure people will accuse me of of being biased in one direction here but I've had to hold my tongue for long enough whilst this precedent has been building. And as a driver myself, I find it terrifying to think that we're going to be ending up in a situation where you are not allowed room. And and if it's one particular driver you're racing against, whichever thing they decide to do, if they decide to drive to the apex or if they decide to try and stay around the outside while someone else drives to the apex, it doesn't really matter because whatever they do is the right thing and everyone else has to leave them space. And I'm just sick of it. Well, I'm just nice, nice to hear some passion mm-hmm. from, uh, from Bradbot, as, uh, as all your friends call you. Uh, you tweeted earlier, in short, Max expects to be able to force people off the track, leaving them with no room. But he also expects to be left full room on the outside when it's him attempting a pass. In a way, that is kind of all racing drivers, is it not, Brad? But I can see how it specifically applies to Verstappen in F1. All racing drivers would like that to be the situation, but the sensible ones understand that that is unworkable and that at some point in either situation, you need to give room. Uh, Admittedly, what makes this more difficult is that he has been allowed to get away with it for too long. So he's built this kind of God complex, which makes him think that whatever he does is the right thing. And that needs to be knocked out of him. Hopefully this is the first step because at least we know that the driving to the apex is okay. And so... If he happens to be the one not driving to the apex and he's on the attack, he needs to yield at some point. He can't just keep his foot in until he hits the other car. Well, the, the Slack chat is begging for you to get off the fence, Brad. Christian, <laughs> Christian. Uh, yeah, I, I have to agree with Bradley. I, uh, it's It's been a, a long way coming, uh, I think. But uh, I'm going to take it from another point of view. Uh, the thing I, I mentioned earlier about the kindergarten, I didn't say that to to call Max Verstappen a baby or anything. It was just a ge- general human thing, uh, pers- a way of look of life. Yeah, and you have to look at it in the same perspective this this time because there's no teachers around in Max Verstappen's kindergarten. There's no one telling him to stop hitting the others. 
And that is just the lack of leadership from Christian Horner. And I think the last couple of years we've seen a decline in leadership from from that guy. And I'm okay. not really sure what's going on at Red Bull because Red Bull is a sugar drink that is just very, very good at marketing themselves. And these last two, three months has been horrible for the Red Bull marketing machine. So I think someone needs to talk to Max Verstappen just as, uh, uh, can you remember Lewis Hamilton, all the mistakes he made out in public the first couple of years yeah, and no yeah, one yeah, taught yeah. him anything? It's the same thing we're seeing with Max Verstappen and he needs some guidance. Yeah, no, of course. Remember Lewis Hamilton in 2009 when he hit everyone? At some point, Massa seventeen times, and that was just that was just in one race. So uh, yes, I, I think what I wanted to do, which I think we don't have enough time for here, is what would you say if you were the driver coach of of both drivers leading up to this and after this? So I'll just leave you with that thought. I'll I'll play driver coach because I was mad at Lewis Hamilton at the beginning of the season for constantly yielding to Max Verstappen constantly yielding there was going to have to be a point where he had to stand up for him so as the driver coach i would have been saying at that point to lewis hamilton you've got to start stamping your authority you've got to start holding your ground and to to max you would be saying hey this is working you know every bluff you're pulling every other driver on the track you've created an aura around you well done this is fantastic but it's starting to tip a little bit now it's starting to tip that balance and now as a driver coach i think i would be saying slightly different things because Verstappen's been burned twice he was he was burned at, at Silverstone whoever's fault you think that was he ended up worse off so from a driver coach point of view what are you going to tell your man the next time in cops with Lewis Hamilton on the inside you're going to say that didn't end well last time let's think of something different let's think of a different plan but Verstappen has still been pushing people out wide and he's been he's doubled down on the Verstappenness. I can respect that but it hasn't worked out again today and as a driver coach to Lewis Hamilton, I just, I don't know. Because I told you to stand your ground. I told you just to call those bluffs. And, and we've ended up in the wall. Now we've ended up in the gravel with a car on top of our head. So that, I think, is a, is a tougher one. But the race wasn't won by Lewis Hamilton or Max Verstappen. So it's time to turn to Matt and ask him where the race was won and lost. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. 
So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Uh, Matt, I think we can look at this very much, as Christian says, from a Mercedes, uh, sorry, force of habit, from a McLaren <laughs> perspective, because McLaren just stealthily got about their business over the course of the weekend, ended up putting themselves in a potentially winning position after the sprint races. And, and then they had a lot of work to do and everything had to go right, as in their strategy to go right. But it wasn't luck. How, how did McLaren, they didn't get gifted this race. How did McLaren win this race? They won it because Lewis Hamilton made a two millimeter mistake in his start for sprint qualifying. And that dropped him back and let Botas win. Max finished second. And our friend, Daniel Ricciardo, who had a good start, finally bested his teammate. I mean, he may have beaten him technically once before, but proper straight up on track, got the better start, finished third while Norris was busy fending off Hamilton. And that in itself was a preview of what we were going to see today in today's race. And that being the McLaren, and I'm going to just hand it to Seidel and the technical team, I think they looked at this race and said, what we really need is a setup that's faster than everyone from about mid-corner in Parabolica to the entry to turn one. If we can do that, we can win this race. And that's what happened. So at the start, we have uh, Ricardo next to Verstappen, and then Norris and Hamilton. And Ricardo on the dirty side of the track, and this is the first really critical point, gets a start that I think will have Mercedes scratching their heads. Like, how did he do that well from that side of the grid with our power unit? Because we can't do that. And was absolutely flat out entirely in front of Verstappen when they got to the first turn. Absolutely critical. Oh, my goodness. No, I, I just a, killed it. I killed it. No one's got anything left to say. Okay. <laughs> oh, in that case, you know what? If we are a bit stuck, and it doesn't happen here, it happens very often here on uh, Miss Apex podcast that we get stuck. I have got a voice note from our video producer, Steve Amy, who, <laughs> who produces and manages the video stuff all the way from somewhere in Australia, I assume Ramsey Street. He sent me this voice note earlier. You little beauty, Danny Rick. That was a blistering drive, mate. Ozzy, Ozzy, Ozzy. Oi, oi, oi. Ah, the Australian, I was thinking they're all having the day off and just uh, started drinking from Monday morning onwards. Christian? Since I started this, uh, I, of course, have something to add because uh, not only did uh, uh, McLaren do a double victory, it was well-earned all through the weekend. It was uh, perfectly executed and it was a clear sign of something just very, very positive happening in in, in Woking. Uh, the McLaren team is I th- next year. If the McLaren car is fast, that's just going to be, if you like orange, a very good orange year. Uh, and I think Ricciardo, something happened during the summer break. Uh, he learned something about the car. I'm not sure what it is. Uh, I'm not sure they even know themselves, but he just cracked the code. And if this part, just the partnership, can we stay like this? The Norris radio message, do you want me to stay here? Just accepting it, the balance. Mm, I loved it. Yeah, the Rick Demption arc there was, it's, we've just been assuming 
that he's going to play second fiddle, uh, second fiddle to to Lando Norris, finds himself up at the front with uh, uh, Max Verstappen, not just once, but twice over the course of the weekend. And and Brad, after the first sprint race, turn one incident, where he dipped out, I had a feeling in my head that this is a guy that was so low on confidence that he he was going to yield. He was going to yield and take like a second or third place. But I was just so delighted that he managed to get up and get ahead of, of Max. And then he went for it because I, I just doubted whether his mentality was the old kind of honey badger send it mentality. Yeah, I mean, and he may well have yielded had he been in a similar position to the sprint race or, or a less good position. But the key for him was he was so far clear by the time they got to turn one, there was no chance for Max to do anything. Max couldn't even attempt to you know, around the outside or, or a cutback or anything. Ricardo was just clearly ahead at turn one. And from that point onwards, if the car behind was going to struggle to follow closely or, or get close enough at the end of the straights, it was always going to be difficult for Max to, to make an impression unless they could use strategy. And that brings us ever so lovely to the pit stops where we saw Ricardo in and McLaren completely on top of it on lap 23, because what they were looking at was Ricardo's pit window, and they were looking at the progress that Botas was making up the field. And so they brought him in to cover off Botas, to stay ahead of him, because they knew that if they got behind him, he would just hold them up so that Lewis could pit and come out ahead of the both of them. But instead, they got him out in front, and that left Norris ahead of Hamilton for about a lap until Hamilton passed him. And then they brought Norris in, and that was what triggered the um, that was what triggered the pit stop that ended everything, uh, both from a Verstappen and Hamilton point of view because they both had bad pit stops. So Verstappen had uh, an eleven second pit stop, and from what I understand, it it was long because someone didn't press the OK button on on their wheel gun, which is. It was really weird to watch because ordinarily, obviously, Red Bull have such fast pit stops. They're just consistently the best. And in this stop, nothing seemed to be wrong. I couldn't see any problems with the wheels. Everything was on. The car was ready to go, but Max wasn't leaving the box. And everyone was kind of looking at each other like, who's got the problem? And it must have been a horrible sinking feeling for the guy on the right front wheel who then looked at his gun and saw there was a red light on it or something, however their system works, and realized he just hadn't pressed go. But again, Matt, I don't want this to become a, well, Red Red Bull messed up their pit stop, uh, uh, Mercedes messed up their pit stop, therefore it was a gift to McLaren, because do you know who didn't mess up anything all weekend long? McLaren. Well, it wasn't a gift to McLaren at all, because let's recall that our friend Daniel, Ricky Danny, as we like to call him over here, um, made his stop before the safety car period which cost him 24 full seconds. And yet he still finished in the lead of the race. This was always McLaren's race to win once they got down to turn one, because again, the setup of the car was utterly genius. So Matt, if uh, Hamilton would have stayed out, uh, let's say five, eight, 10 laps more, uh, wouldn't the Red Bulls and the McLarens have joined traffic and hence be slowed down, which would have given him advantage yeah i think i was looking at the lap times of uh, hamilton when he was released finally it looked like he was about half a second slower than than the guys that come in for new tires which isn't tragic 
that is enough. Like, obviously, people will catch him up a little bit, but then, okay, then he's got 10 laps fresher tyres, and most people would fancy that. That's why the sprint race is dull, by the way. We'll get to that. but Because there's no <laughs> tyre delta difference. But I think Hamilton would have fancied that. I'll give myself 10 lap fresher tyres, and then I'll, I'll come through and, and mug them. So I was quite surprised, exactly. actually, that, they, that he pitted so early, I guess, going for that very quick overcut. Well, it, except for... All right, so here's the thing. Let's recall we've had a rules change. This, is, this just kills me. The FIA changed how the pit stops were run. Used to be a sensor for Red Bull would automatically pop up a green light the moment that nut was tightened down. And they took that away, said you have to press the button. So that poor right front wheel guy either tried to press a button and it didn't work or forgot to press the button. He didn't know that his light wasn't on. And the guy at the front is sitting here looking at a red light, looking at him, looking at a red light. And finally he made the motion like you have to go back in again. That's when they got it. But why did they bring Hamilton in? Because he had a two-second gap. He had a pit stop window plus two seconds to Verstappen. And Mercedes is like, if we get you out in front of Max, you know, we, we have swung the championship again in our favor because we have the advantage here. But oh, hang on. So Mercedes were... pit stop was also so slow that they wound up side by side on track when Hamilton came out of the pits. So, so what I hadn't quite realized, and just forgive my aircon, I am being boiling the bag spanners for a second. So if you can hear my fan, I apologize. I didn't quite realize that they were responding to the bad pit stop and then realized that they had a chance to, to do it. So, oh my goodness, the, the dominoes that had to fall for that result today. Yeah, in fact, if we had ever gotten around to a real tell me whose fault it was, I would have blamed the FIA in changing the pit stop rules because without that, we would never would have seen the situation. But at least we talked about the safety car incident a little bit because the safety car was the last hinge where the race was won and lost. First of all, it gave Ricardo a nice, nice chance to be out there. It gave everybody tires that were the same temperature. Botas, Interestingly, and I mentioned him because he was the third podium spot here, so we do have to talk about him and won and lost, chose the medium tire. And so on the restart, Ricardo gets away perfectly, but very rapidly, Norris is all over him and on the radio going, ahem, ahem, my teammate, ahem. Uh, yeah. and, and Ricardo gets this call. He gets this call from his engineer. He's like, um, you might need to go faster. And Ricardo's like, well, what about the tires? And the engineer is like, I'm going to tell you to just not worry about your tires and go as fast as you can from now on. And he did. He immediately upped his pace. And and as far as he was concerned, that was that. So it's a politically um, sensitive situation, though, Brad, because I, I know you're a big Norris fan. I mean, on balance, if they could have ghosted each other, Norris's ghost would probably have gone through Ricardo's uh, ghost. I don't think anyone's disputing that. But Ricardo would put himself up front. Either... You say to a midfield team that's not had a, 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 a victory for a while, go on, go fight, and let's risk it all. Or you have to tell the guy who, had, to be fair, Norris has been doing an absolute bang-up job. You've got to tell him, no, hold station, and in fact, hold off Perez and Bottas behind. So a very delicate one, that. Yeah, but I actually don't think it is that delicate, because you have Norris in this situation who is being a super team player, and second place is still his best ever finish. He's never had a second oh. place before until today. It's just a bunch of thirds. And he knows he's there for the long term. He also knows he's probably got a little bit of pace on Ricardo. And more often than not, he is the one ahead on a weekend. It's way better for him to just keep team harmony 
accept a really good team one two yeah take let daniel have some kind of glory because he's had such a tough season up until this point and just it, it will help everybody move forward if norris is really he's really bought into mclaren as as a concept going forward he is their guy for the future next generation young guy new rule set he wants to just have harmony and I think he, he helped that today and he was happy with his P2. I know there was a little bit of gentle ribbing of his his radio call where he's going, so, so I mean, you know, I'm easily keeping up and there's cars behind me. What, <laughs> what, what do you think we should do? So there's a bit of gentle ribbing of that. But Matt, we have seen, we have seen this played out way more dramatically. Like Norris could have gone, I, they're all over me, man. I can't hold Perez off. He's swarming all. He's gonna do what he, he's gonna oh, do the cut through like he did on science. I don't know what to do, man. That you're costing us victory. And he could have done that, but he, he didn't. No, he didn't. And it, again, in all fairness to Ricardo, as soon as he got the call, his pace was exactly equal to what Norris was putting down to the point where Ricardo won fast lap on the last lap by a single tenth over Norris. They had the two fastest laps in the race, as far as I was aware, both on the last lap. But we do need to talk about one more player. And I I feel bad bringing this up because I already know you're not feeling 100%. (laughs) Okay, fine. So we're we're going to talk about Ocon later. Don't worry. (laughs) Your boy Perez jumped the chicken and did not give the place back. And that wound up killing both... I would have been. I would have loved to have seen Botas with a brand new power unit yep. on the medium tires, having a go at Norris. I'm not convinced Norris would have been able to hold off Botas, and I think only Botas with a new power unit would have had the power, uh, in the literal sense, to make to maybe make that pass happen. But as is, mm. we never got to see it. What's most maddening about that is they had that exact same situation in the sprint race. And they had to to give it back. Of course, people are going to robustly defend into chicanes. We've seen it. We've talked about it at length with the Verstappen manoeuvre being done on Verstappen by Hamilton. And we saw signs, you know, closing the door on Perez in this. And we saw Stroll do similar thing. Everyone was doing that. And if you if you happen to fall victim to that and then run off track, you can't keep that position. Although, was it Leclerc that went off track behind Bottas, then got the toe and then took him back again so there was a lot of cheekiness going off i i still stand by an electronic device that just slightly reduces your horsepower a tiny little bit if the sensors pick up that you're off track but it was maddening from perez because he'd been in that situation before and you've just thrown away a podium yeah i don't know how much i blame perez i think it was a calculated a calculated move from red bull hoping they could finish five seconds up the road from leclerc I want to say again, it's uh, bad management from Red Bull because uh, everyone knows that you're going to have to give the position back when you cut the track. And you can never let a driver decide this. It's just not in the nature of a driver to decide whether to give a a place back because obviously you're not going to do it. So Red Bull should just play by the rules and just tell him to go back as soon as possible. And then he probably would have had maybe two or four points more today. And a podium, possibly. Yep. And if anyone needs a blinking podium right now, it's Perez. Anyway, whatever, Matt, run over from me. At any rate, where we wound up was the fact that Perez was in DRS on Norris, essentially kept him uh, ahead of Botas until Botas ran out of tires. And were it not for the penalty, 
then Perez would have been the podium position. But as it was, that promoted our friend Valtteri to the podium. And there you have it, how McLaren won the race. Yeah, and it was a fantastic victory because at every point, I mean, I still go just go back to that first stint where they were just double teaming the championship leaders. You know, Ricardo had his guy, he held off Max Verstappen. That's not an easy thing to do. And then Norris actually probably had the worst of it because I, I, I think Mercedes probably had the better overall package for this race and had the best opportunities to get past Lando Norris. But I'm, Brad, I'm sure you're impressed by that just defensive display. And the attacking display was good as well. But Norris, his positioning of the car was so impressive. And that, that's not the first time we've seen that. I think this track is, it lends itself to uh, the driver ahead didn't need to do anything spectacular. If the car was quick enough, they just had to not make mistakes. And I think what Ricardo and Norris did really well this weekend in both races, the sprint race and the main race, was just not make any mistakes. They just did the right job. They weren't having to, you know, block. They weren't having to actually defend. Maybe having to use the energy correctly, you know, maybe having to deploy power in the right places, which is which is obviously a tricky thing to do, but they just did it right. They just, they really mm. executed a great race. Yeah, and just a flawless weekend. I think the last word on that to Uncle Steve again. You little beauty, <laughs> Danny Rick. That was a blistering drive, mate. Ozzy, Ozzy, Ozzy. Oi, oi, oi. Australians are bonkers, but uh, congratulations to Australians. I know they are uh, nearly in unison uh, supporters of, of Daniel Ricciardo and uh, take a lot of pride in his performances, and uh, they can be proud once more of him in Formula One. Hopefully the beginning of a spike of form rather than a fluke. I have to say, on the strength of this weekend's performance, it really didn't feel like a fluke. It, it all felt very natural. It all felt kind of very predictable, and he'd worked his way up. And the race before as well, he was looking strong. All right, Matt thinks he's getting away with this. Whose fault is it? Oh, Spanners, I hate to bring it up that the driver you support did a thing bad. I'm Matt. You can follow me at MattPT55. Ocon on Stroll, my goodness. Whose fault was that, Matt? Uh, on Vettel, wasn't it? Ocon on Vettel. It was on Vettel, the other Aston Martin, sorry. Whose fault was it? it, That collision. If you ask me, if you ask me who did the worst number on Vettel, (laughs) I'd say it was, in fact, Stroll on the exit of Lesmo 1. Your, your doing honor. him dirty, driving his teammate off the track entirely. Your honor, the witness, about, the witness about, is wondering. You're talking about the minuscule contact <laughs> that sent Vettel crying to the steward. Are he you talking upset. about that one? Yeah, he was upset. He was very upset. It was not a minuscule contact, Brad. It was an entire minuscule contact. There was, was, that, was just, that was a big old shove. I mean, when we're in a corner, we can we can talk about... Uh, what constitutes leaving enough space when you're on a straight it's yes. pretty blooming <laughs> obvious that if you drive into a space which means the guy on the outside has to actually go off track to avoid contact in a straight line it's pretty clear how wide the cars are that was that was definitely on Ocon and it was a carbon copy of Leclerc or Leclerc on Hamilton was it yeah. last year? No, 20, year before? Yeah, 2019, I think, Matt. Which actually went unpenalised. No, it didn't go unpenalised as people are yelling at me. He did get a penalty, which was a black and white flag. Black and white flag. Yeah. Okay, that, that's not a penalty, though, is it? That's a warning. Well, that's what you I said, but everyone yelled at me. Matt, defend Ocon. I, I will. But, well, first of all, obviously, yeah, Ocon made contact with Zaddle, not vice versa. That said, he was he was ahead. And, and going into the turn, he just he just swung a little bit wide trying to get the car rotated 
and bonked wheels with Vettel. It was not, it was not an intentional, I'm driving you off track kind of maneuver. But I'm not going to sit here and pretend that it wasn't Ocon's fault because yeah, it, it was. But he also, Vettel also really did get run off track by his own teammate for which no penalty at all was given. And that I think had a much worse impact on Vettel's overall race than the contact with Ocon did. Christian, he's trying to, I see what he's doing. He's trying to drift away, but bring us back. I want to say that corner is just, and that exact thing happens in every race at Monza. When you go yeah, into yeah, yeah. Uh, the fourth corner, someone's not going to leave enough room because you need to go wide to go around and yada, yada. It just happens every time. And uh, I think you should know that as a Formula One driver. Five second penalty. So obviously he's, he's not as good friends with Jean Tot. That's what that is. Oh, another whose fault is it? Giovinazzi on lap one. Oh my goodness. That when you talk about like crazy rejoins, I respect that if you're off the race, racetrack, you want to put yourself so that you are on the racetrack, Matt. But uh, this is really disappointing because Giovinazzi, everyone is speculating he's going to lose his, his drive and that there's going to be Zoo or, or some or Joe, sorry, come in. But he's, he's looked all right the last couple of races. He had really strong qualifying performances. And then in this race, he was looking good. And he, he would have been on for a really good, solid top 10. And he, he just threw it away in just the maddest way possible. Came off track and then just, I don't know, just used the Ferraris as a break on the left-hand side. Well, okay. So if I'm ever going to go against any kind of conventional wisdom, this would probably be it. Last week at Zandvoort, he drove into the back of Alonso. Because Alonso got the oversteer. And I can't really blame Giovinazzi for that. He didn't expect Alonso to have oversteer in the middle of a straight. I mean, who would? But I guess these things happen. And off he went. I've thrown away a great qualifying position. This time I saw it. I'm like, oh, my goodness. And he came back onto track. But when I watched from Science's camera, like, he goes off. He comes back on. And he's trying to take up a position behind Leclerc. And Signs, as, as he's beginning to line this up, literally just drives forward and there's no way Giovinazzi would have known that signs had how close they were to the edge of the left-hand side of the track there. There's absolutely no way yeah. he would have known that was coming. And I felt really bad for him because technically, yeah, it's his fault. It was an unsafe rejoin, but in every other way, it was just, oh, <laughs> Sainz see, really seemed I... to have provoked it. So Christian, this could be one of these driver coach moments where forget about the stewarding. You're in his ear going, dude, we could have finished the the race. But again, I don't really feel like he should have needed to slow down. Giovinazzi should have not been there. Giovinazzi has been told he's had three races to show with worth. Something like right? that from uh, I didn't hear this. Fred Vasseur. Uh, oh. He's uh, well, maybe not three, but uh, the, re the rest of the year. But someone says three. Uh, and I think he just went for it. It's Italy. I just need to go for it. But uh, I'm pretty curious to who's going to drive his car next year. Yeah. No, we, we don't have to go into depth about this, but just the name. Just one name each. What, one name each. Well, I'll stick with the one I said already, which is um, the, the Chinese driver. Is it, I say, is it Joe? Joe. Joe, one, they call it, but with the Joe. Z, isn't it? Everybody one. calls Joe. him Joe. Yeah. Why? Do you have any other candidate? Do you, Christian? The Freeze, maybe? Oh, they freeze. Brad? Unless the engine thing will block it. In our Missed Apex WhatsApp chat, you might have missed it because you're running a podcast right now, but right. Chris Stevens has just said he thinks maybe Giovinazzi's staying based on some social media chatter he's seen. 
Oh, mm-hmm. very interesting. Okay. okay, good. Speculation for another time, but I think it's time where we, we tackle another controversial topic. Sprint races. We had a sprint race. We'll have a quick debate on this because we had the Silverstone one. And uh, I have to say, I'll just set the scene. But before they did the sprint races, we said, well, it's not going to... A, what are you fixing? It ain't broken. Two, the you're replicating the least interesting part of the race, which is after lap one for the first stint. People are settling in and going, shall I pit now? Uh, or they're looking at the car ahead and going, is he slow or saving tyres? Is he fast or is he cooking? When do we pit? When do we go for the undercut? When do we go for the overcut? And all that is going on in uh, the brain of the drivers and the teams, whereas on telly, they're just holding station. So the sprint race just was like, well, they're just recreating that bit. It's not going to be very interesting after lap one. And so it seems to have proved uh, for for both races so far. On social media, there's a there was a, an eerie silence from a lot of F1 media because... And they don't want to go, oh, that was a bit rubbish, wasn't it? But that's like, there is a different pressure, isn't there, Christian, when you're, like, working for an organisation. Uh, a big up to Jack Nichols, whose living does depend on F1 to a large degree, and he was just perfectly willing to just... The, the only person to say, uh, Mr Emperor, you are stark naked. Please put on a robe. And just said, well, it was never going to be interesting to do the first stint, put the chequered flag down, and then resume on the next day. Am I being too negative, Christian? I don't think you are. I think it's uh, quite normal. But I'm going to repeat what I said the first time, which is Formula One is doing something different. They're trying stuff out. They are shaking the bag a little bit, which I I love. And yeah, it's, it's, it's uh, I welcome it so bad. I do. Friday is perfect. The Fridays with qualifying in the evening, it's perfect. It's like race day starts one day earlier and it just builds up so perfectly. But it leaves Saturday in a strange vacuum. And I feel a bit like it's a bit like knowing what's inside your birthday presents before you open them. So you arrive to your birthday and everyone open your presents, open, but you know what's inside. So it's going to be like, oh, thank you. That's how Sunday feels a bit when you've seen Saturday and. That's I think a, they have to work on something there. That's a that's a really good analogy. And that was one of our fears, Brad, wasn't it? Which is, well, okay, obviously Sunday had extra surprises for us this time. But it's you're using up a lot of the championship fight or whatever it was that you were going to get on Saturday. You're kind of already using that up on the Saturday. So you and I have a little bit of an insight into this because we've experienced one of these sprint race weekends at the track yes. when we were at Silverstone. And, and we had the benefit of being a Friday um a friday spectator where we were at the track and ordinarily there wouldn't be that much meaningful exciting running and we got to see lewis hamilton take not pole position for the sprint race uh, so obviously terminology aside because that's a bit messed up and the whole not being allowed to call it pole when it is pole yeah that that can be cleared up reasonably easily but that that's a small problem so we got the benefit of being at the track. However, the vast majority of people are not at the track and so I don't think we should necessarily be pandering specifically to track watchers although i appreciate circuits uh, circuit promoters need to make money and need to have value in the product they're selling to the spectators but in my honest opinion is that the sprint race format in its current guise at least maybe they can change it in its current guise devalues both the qualifying session and the main race by the qualifying only actually qualifying you for a race which isn't the actual race 
and the race having already had a first stint to allow things to kind of kind of settle down into an order that they may have fallen into in the first stint, the actual race. Yeah. So I, I personally hate it. I think it needs to go in the bin unless they can do something to to address the the problems of it. And I, I really do not like the sprint race format as it is. So somebody's saying, well, yes, but unintentionally, it's Lucas in our chat, says unintentionally the race was far more uh, entertaining because of the finishing order. That may be the case, but you can be right for the wrong reasons and you can be wrong uh, for the for the right reason. Uh, there's just... What to me, Matt? I mean, okay, clearly on Saturday it didn't land. Clearly. Like lap one, okay, great. But then clearly after that there was nothing. Then John tweets out, and I appreciate this is probably like his PR person, but tweets out, epic, epic Saturday qualifying. And, you know, this is echoed by a lot of media. There's a lot of surveys that go out that are like, did you like seeing race cars on track? Weren't they good? And people are like, yeah, sure, I like seeing race cars, uh, but it would have been better if... No, 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 you've already said yes, therefore, success. Brad's put out a much simpler survey, which was, should we keep it or should we bin it? And I've done loads of those surveys as well, and every time I put those out, it's like 80%, 20% bin it. But the surveys we see from the top media guys, sorry, going back to Brad briefly, is has always got these like three options, and it's like, did did it sound good? Or would you get rid of it forever? You go, well, it sounded good, but no, 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 too late. You said it sounded good. Yeah, and the poll that I put out this weekend had a similar result. Um, just the, the two options. Do you want to keep it or get rid of it? And when faced with those two, again, it was uh, an 80 to 20%. I just checked it again. It's still 80% to 20% um, in favor of getting rid of it. And I really don't like when people throw in these kind of mysterious extra options yeah. <laughs> because people who are who don't mind either way, people who would normally not go out of their way to change a thing because they're quite happy as it is, which is similar to a certain political um, vote we had in the UK a few years ago, um, may not care, which means that the whole thing suffers because the authorities, the FIA in this case, or Formula One as an entity, will use those effective non-votes in their in, in their, their um, proportion and they'll say oh yeah so these people also thought it was positive when actually they were quite happy with it how it was yeah. and and they're a, they haven't really got a, a strong positive or negative opinion on it of course to our non-uk uh, listeners and viewers brad was referring to the uk election to name the uh, the navy research vessel the winning vote was boaty mcboatface <laughs> which they reneged on but they did call the little research sub Team at Boatface. So we did win in the end. Matt. Okay, so I agree. Saturday was hardly the enthralling spectacle anyone would hope a sprint a sprint race would actually turn out to be. And I think that it's fair after the second running to say, to ask the questions, what is the problem here? But I want to start with the thing, and I'm with Christian on this one that I very much like. I like the one practice session and qualifying on Friday a lot. I think that's that's quite, quite good. And I would hate to lose that in our search for making every day of the week and have its own meaningful content. Because that's really what the that's really what Formula One is trying to do here. I think we should do as we did this weekend. Only the sprint race should be at the oval. Yeah, okay, like something a little bit different. We do that for the Missed Apex iRacing. Uh, we do something like a, a shorter version of the track. Brad, I'm going to read you Kyle's hot take on Twitter. 
He says, uh, since when is there a need to have every second of the weekend, this is so grumpy, be super dramatic? It's a Grand Prix. The clue is in the name. The practice sessions have zero requirement to be entertaining. How about we spice up the press conference too? Thread continues. Let's make the drivers juggle while they play, while they answer questions. Make them play a big game of Twister while answering things. I find the sighting laps to the grid boring. Let's make them competitive and make it a sprint from the pit lane to the safety car lane. Poor, poor old, I'm poor sure, old car. I'm sure we said these same <laughs> things after the first sprint event. Maybe, maybe, yeah. We, we, a lot of people are at work or at school on a Friday. So the fact that the Friday sessions are really just a practice session for the teams to kind of get dialed in is by the by. If you, ha- if you happen to be able to watch it, great. You can have it on in the background and it's, it's nice to have some Formula One content. But if you miss it, it's not the end of the world. Whereas now I almost feel this pressure that you have to, you have to watch it after work or school on record or somehow try and fit it into your lunch break or something like that. And people have been saying, well, it's better than FP3, but it doesn't replace FP3. It no, it replaces qualifying. Qualifying. Yeah. And uh, so anyway, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not sold. And I certainly don't think that the, qual- the timed qualifying should set the grid for anything other than the actual race. If they're gonna if they're gonna keep this, the time qualifying still needs to influence the race itself, not the non-race. Christian, I'm I'm just gonna agree with Bradley on on everything and uh, just add that the, the the small things that doesn't work at all is part partly communication. So you can't have someone winning a qualifying and not really knowing if they're the pole sitter or. You can't have that kind of uh, communication when you have a big sport like Formula One. It has to be totally clear for everyone. Uh, so this brings me back to the questions I want to ask, which is what is wrong with it from the current perspective? And it's very clear. Number one, these cars aren't really great for this kind of a short race because the uh-huh. weight profile of the car makes following hard. That, however, is potentially a problem that is solved with next year's regulations. And let's all recall, this is simply a trial. For implementation next season, if the cars are equally bad next season, then I think a different take might be needed. Second of all, in this particular instance, we had a safety car, which essentially ruined any chance of tire degradation playing a part in the race. And finally, and I'm just going to say it, Monza, not a great choice for this format because skinny rear wings, minimal DRS effect and slipstream means that you just were never going to see a lot of overtaking and then add to it. And this is where I think Brad is absolutely correct. The fact that your grid start on Sunday depends on the race Saturday alters your risk reward thinking. I'm not going to risk, uh, yeah. I'm not going to risk losing five places to gain one. What's the point when I can make that up in a pit stop tomorrow? So I think fundamentally, if we are going to keep a Saturday short race, a sprint race, that that is the thing that really has to be thought about. It needs to be its own non-championship thing that the teams will still be invested in. Otherwise, it won't have meaning. I think uh, for me, I, I, I'm so used to the qualifying format, you know, like what we had on Friday, that being the Saturday thing. I'm like, yeah, that's qualifying. Great. It's lined up like this. And then by the time you get to Saturday, <laughs> you know, suddenly things have changed. Well, where's Gasly? I thought he was going to do well. I asked the uh, live chat, Matt, if uh, we had missed anything and if there was anything they wanted us to talk about. Maria is straight in with George Russell, next season's Mercedes driver. Did he, did he pick up points? I'd, I, was, I was wrapped up in reading regulations. 
He did. In he, fact, he, sorry, you got it, Matt. No, I was going to say, in fact, he did, thanks to Ocon's uh, five-second penalty for being rude to Much Vettel. deserved five-second penalty. Um, he he got two points, finished ninth. Lenient five-second penalty. Do continue, Matt. Um, and he interestingly had a um, an issue with his front wing on, on Saturday's race that meant that he wasn't really able to be competitive with Latifi. Because the one side of his front wing essentially collapsed, and he had horrible understeer throughout the whole race. Like literally, the the uh, the fixture they used to adjust it, it literally just like popped off and flattened. So he had no front wing, no downforce on one side, which made turning well, you know, oh. slightly more difficult than he was hoping. Oh, and good point. What happened to what happened to Gasly? I just I heard some inaudible complaining, and then uh, he didn't start. What happened? Uh, it was a power unit issue. It was, a it was like a communications issue in the power unit elements. Uh, Honda installed the latest energy store, which is the fancy word for battery that Formula One likes to use. And they installed it all and he went out and then there were some issues with communications about that. So they had to bring him in. And our friend Tsunoda, I believe, had brake issues on the way to the grid and they brought him into the pit lane, but were not going to be able to fix it in time. So AlphaTauri, because um, um, Alpine scored points with both Alonso and Ocon, cough, still in the points despite the penalty, cough, mm -hmm. um, actually uh, got slightly more clear because poor AlphaTauri really had no chance at all in this race. And it was a shame because Gasly looked fast and it would have been fascinating to see him in the mix given everything else that transpired. I think we can pick up a lot of the other the other topics that we missed in our awards. So I think we'll head off to the podium. Done all right, Matt. You only had to take over for one little bit and I only had to put my face in the air con for a five minute period. So I think we got away with it, really. I, I think we got much more away with it than certain drivers did today. That's for sure. Oh, yes. That'll be featured in the podium. Oh, you can't sue us because this music's too old. It belongs to the world now. The Italian Grand Prix, somewhat of a success as an event, I would say. Nobody gave this chances of being a thriller. There was lots of tweets, especially during the sprint race, saying, well, this isn't a good advert for the race. I think that was fair. If you'd have sat through that sprint race as a new F1 fan, do you have a massive incentive to tune in for the main Grand Prix? Obviously, you'd have missed out, but maybe that is something that would be part of the, the agenda on the sprint race deciding meeting. But we did have massive drama. We saw the continuation of the possibly the most dramatic championship battle in our lifetime. People uh, talk about Prost Senna forever. There's a really, really good movie uh, about Nicky Lauda and about James Hunt. That's good. I think this battle will be spoken about in the, in the same way. You know, in, in their own mini way, the Rosberg-Hamilton battle will be featured in it. I don't think anybody is going to remember the the Ferrari red, the Ferrari Vettel against Hamilton. I think that will be a footnote. I think that will whisper on by. But this, the 2021 season, as possibly the start of one of the greatest rivalries in Formula One, I think we're witnessing Formula One history. But as pundits from our sofa, we get to dish out awards. We get to berate people at the very top of their games and then give them patronising little nuggets of appreciation as well. Uh, that's the one we're going to start with. 
for the patronising Nugget of Appreciation Award. No, we don't call it that. We call it the Thing of the Weekend. Oh, this is where we're super positive and we heap praise on people. Like, I would want to heap praise on, on Brad Philpott. You are a very popular member of our, our panel. Whenever you come on, people are happy and they go and follow you. And your uh, media your media is, is growing. Your Twitter influence is growing. Whenever you tweet anything now, Brad, you get like a billion likes and a million retweets. And you've got a sick uh, but controversial sim set up, which means you are going to be going back to some... Uh, sim racing streaming on your YouTube channel, but you've moved from VR where you get to actually be in the car to flat headland where you're basically watching your racing on telly. It's sad, but it might make for a good stream. Yeah, you're right. I've regressed from having a really nice VR setup to having three beautiful high-res curved telly. screens on my sim that I'm sat in right now. It's just telly. Um, and, and you're right, I'm going to be doing some live streams soon. So this Wednesday night at 8 p.m. UK time, catch me racing some radicals at the Red Bull Ring. <sighs> Um, I love those. But yeah, are you after a, a thing of the weekend? Yeah, yeah, me? yeah. I just wanted to like plug your stuff. But you know, all the things that we plug will be in the show notes below. Thanks for letting me go first because that makes it really easy. So my thing of the weekend is a McLaren 1-2. Easy one. Really, really feel good result. It wasn't one of those results where they just inherited it because everyone ahead of them crashed out. Okay, a couple of the potential race winners or certainly challengers were involved in an accident which took them out of the race. But I think Ricardo was winning this anyway today. And the fact that it ended up as a 1-2 was just awesome. So thing of the weekend to McLaren. And you can't say that without mentioning it is the first 1-2 of the entire season. Yeah, they've done that well there. Matt Two Rumpets, who is at MattPT55 on Twitter. That's in the links in the show notes below, as is a link to his wife's books. She is A. Weaver Writes, and she writes uh, romance, romantic novels. Where does she get her inspiration for her leading men? You can't look too much further than, uh, than Matt Trumpets. Unless she's been watching the stream and she's seen Christian, then you're in trouble. If, if uh, honestly... If, how you doing? Yeah, if all her main characters start having holes in their money, then you know. That's how you know. Uh, but anyway, yeah. the links will be in the show notes. Go and check those out at MattPT55. My friend, who is uh, the thing of the thing? I, I'm laughing a bit because uh, one of our viewers actually uh, called 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 Christian uh, a European me or vice versa me, and I thought that was kind of Christian, hilarious I and a real compliment. I'll as take it. Far I'll, as I'm concerned, I was going to say Christian, we are so sorry. Anyway, Matt, continue. <laughs> uh, my thing of the weekend, since Brad has conveniently taken care of anything McLaren, I might have mentioned. I'm going to say Valtteri Bottas. Oh, you. I mean, Christ. holy. I mean, holy jeez. Won the real qualifying, won the sprint race, came from the back. And, uh, you know, you could say maybe he should have gotten past Perez, but Perez he didn't need you know, to. was a bit yeah. naughty putting himself there in the first place. So I'm just like, man, great weekend for him. So, so even though Bottas was my choice, I'm going to now go on the attack because you picked him. <laughs> uh, but people were generally underestimating the effect of having that new power unit because there was so much uh, hyperbole about his qualifying result. And they're like, see, they let him go. And now he's better than Hamilton. It's like, okay, no, he's done well. That's true. But just like he did have a fresh power unit. Hamilton is at the end of his. And so, you know, and that also was a massive advantage here at Monza in particular, where you could, you know, overtake and get past people, but still a great performance. And he would have been my choice for thing of the weekend as well. Christian, you've got no need 
social media. You don't you don't beg for likes and follows, you of mainstream media. I don't need it in my life, no. but I miss it. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, did, did you see Tony Wolf that when uh, Bottas overtook and then got re-overtaken? Yes. yes. I just yeah, yeah. love that little, little clip. And I'm so happy, Matt, uh, you mentioned Bottas because that was very much a mention worth. But I'm going to go with something completely different. Uh, my thing of the week is uh, Alpon and uh, Ed Williams. I'm very happy Alex oh, Alpon's yeah. back. Yeah, yeah. I'm very happy... Uh, this is not going to be an anti-Red Bull uh, rant from me, but I think he's done a really good thing for his career, just uh, getting rid of his uh, Red Bull contract, going for a team like Williams, Jos Capito, all that uh, group of people. That is going to be a thing for me. Excellent. Thank you very much for that. And uh, what about you, Spanners? Oh, thank you very much. Can I plug my stuff first? Of course you can. Uh, follow me at Spanners Ready, the show at Mr. Apex F1. And I'm going to do a, a series of... Uh, of, of podcast appearances the first i asked i said invite me on your podcast i did two i was quite sick when i did them but i enjoyed very much appearing on these two podcasts so i will link to the episodes in the show notes below as long as i remember to tell matt the first one is another f1 show that wasn't the plan to go on a rival show but i want you to go and check out any episode but i was on the latest one of quick stop f1 and they they are a very different f1 podcast they are going to occupy a niche that i think isn't occupied at the moment i think you will tune in and you will either go oh no not for me or you'll go these guys have an energy i like and these guys had an energy i like uh, a talented pairing so go and check out quick stop f1 podcast i'm on the latest episode uh see if you like it if you don't like me being particularly hamfosi and hamfosi mode eh, maybe maybe give it a maybe give it a skip but if you don't mind that go and check them out because high energy good podcast and uh, the other one is double density podcast as well this one i got to explore loads of topics see if i've got opinions on religion alternative medicine engineering hour and a half of just really wide open debate a lot of critical thinking chat in there and it was a, a heck of a lot of fun so thank you to angelo and brian for inviting me on that go and check them out if you just want to hear me in a non missed apex environment my uh, my thing of the weekend i am really struggling to to find one because you stole both of mine but i think i'm going to give it to ferrari and i hope that's not damning them with faint praise but they are at least consistently getting both those cars up there you know with their early struggles a while back you know they would they were not even getting the wheels on the wagon you know they were getting all the tactics wrong they were you know sending cars out with three wheels or whatever but matt at least they seem to be getting out of their package what they should be getting out of their package. And that's that's encouraging. I'd rather, as a Ferrari fan, I'm not a Ferrari fan, but as a Ferrari fan, I would rather they are organizationally are. just doing things. Everyone's a Ferrari fan. I'd rather they were getting things right and building up than having the magnificent packages they've had in the past and wasting them. Yeah, there's no argument, given the deficit they have on the power unit side, that it the most power-sensitive circuit in the entire season, getting a result like this is pretty darn good. I, I do want to mention the chat room has nominated the Halo again for thing of the week. Yep. Um, given that I quite like Lewis Hamilton, I'm glad he didn't die from a car landing on his head. And there was a lot of people who were against the Halo and we didn't know. To be fair, we were all pro Halo, I think. <laughs> Brad's going, I knew. But we, we didn't know for sure. But there's always going to be that... There's always going to be in F1 in motorsport that one thing, Brad, where you go, well, we didn't predict that. So let's let's put a thing on. I know the horse is bolted, but let's put it on anyway to help future things. And my goodness, 
We've had Hulkenberg had a car land on his head, or was it Alonso? We've had Grosjean through that catch fence thing, and then now today Hamilton. Like, nobody now is going, we should take the halo off. The number of arguments I had with people when the halo was being debated. Oh, I know, me too, where, me too. Where people would say, yeah, but if there's a fire, they can't get out quickly. And I had to point out, if you've got a, a serious head injury, you also can't get out quickly. And it, it just seemed obvious to some of us that you can fix the other things, like yeah. the car catching fire. Although in Grosjean's incident, that, that didn't happen. Admittedly, no, he got out, it, was, yeah. it was quite an extreme one. But Grosjean wouldn't have got out of that incident, regardless of the fire, um, without the halo. So anyway, I'm, I'm pleased that it's having an effect and none of us notice it day to day, do we? It's not like we look at the cars and think, oh, that looks ugly. The moment it was on the car after two races, we all forgot about it anyway. Yep, absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, let's do the let's do the one where we get to, like, you know, judge people and be all like yelly in that. Oh, no, you missed the apex. Who missed the apex for you? Christian, judge people. So I'm going to leave it up to you with all the race-related uh, related stuff. I'm going to pick one who's been on my list actually since February this year. And that is whoever is doing the design of the Ferrari car. That That gradient between the two reds on the back of the Ferrari is, it's, it's like poo in my eyes. Oh, God. Okay. They have it. Well... <laughs> <laughs> the, but the thing is that I'm going to thank you there for is that you've said poop now so we've already broken the, the poop boundary because mine is also poop related and it was really? also to do with Ferrari yeah so when Leclerc was like I need to come in now it was Leclerc wasn't it I need to come in now I can't talk about it I, I'll tell you when I come in so clearly like he just he shouldn't be embarrassed about that <laughs> you just you go on the radio and you just go I've got to come in I need a poo and they go okay no problem we'll, uh, we'll clear the path so that's my mistake, Pex. You've got to go before. I say to the kids, you've got to do a Justin Caspu. That's why I teach them French. A Justin Caspu. Uh, Matt, who missed the apex for you? <laughs> Brad, are you okay? <laughs> We've broken him. You're right, Brad. It's fine. Oh, I'm fine. Matt, who missed the apex for you? Oh, man. Yeah, you, you, this is, this is a, because it was, well, right. Fine. Um, just say it, Matt. Just say Alpha it. Tauri. <laughs> I feel bad. Like, I, I wanted to have something more clever, more witty and succinct. But, I mean, geez, they didn't start one car and the other car only went five laps. What can I say? I mean, you have one of the faster drivers on the grid in a car that would qualified exceedingly well at this track. Yeah. And, yeah. But yeah. also, and like, no one's... Done. No, okay. So, with Gasly... Everyone loves Gasly. Everyone loves saying Gasly should replace Perez, and I just sit here all triggered. But, you know, what was his mistake in the sprint race? You know, you end up driving into the back of someone. That is something that you've got to avoid, you've got to account for. And then he ended up driving off the track. He, it's unlucky. He did cause that. But what you have to remember about the, the Gasly loving, and I'm part of that, I like Gasly, because whenever we notice him, he's up at the front pushing. But... When you're in the limelight, if you, if you were to give him the Red Bull seat, you would suddenly, you would you would notice more the weekends where he makes a mistake and, and costs himself the race start or goes missing halfway through a Grand Prix. Like you can you can go missing when you're in the thing, in the midfield and look amazing when you pull off a result. And that's just, I just, I just want to temper the Gasly loving because it is universally positive. But, you know, with that, that doesn't mean that if you put him now in Russell's seat for next year, he would be challenging for the championship. All right. Uh, who, who's left? Who's left? Brad, who missed the apex for you? 
Lewis Hamilton missed the apex for me by getting a really bad start in the sprint race and causing this whole situation. Because if he just got off the line normally and, and got the kind of start he got today in the main race, he would have been up behind Bottas in the first, yeah. well, it's it's only one stint, isn't it, in the sprint race, been allowed through if he wasn't fast enough to just drive past anyway. And, and hopefully maybe just had a clear run in the main race today because Mercedes had the pace to to be the ones driving off at the front. They They just seemed to conspire through Bottas taking an engine penalty and through Hamilton having that bad start and then mm. later going out of the race in the main race to just never really being at the front. So that's... Well, um, I've, got a few, I've got a few on that because, you know, they said we've got to be perfect this weekend and they really needed to just send a message, bam, go and dominate that race and go and win it. And you're right, they well, Hamilton didn't get a pole for whatever reason. They probably misstepped massively with the Bottas new engine. They cost themselves a car up front when they, they really needed a car another car up front uh, this time. Um, then there was obviously the poor pit stop, Hamilton himself with a poor stop, failing to get past Norris, you could put as a slight, you missed the apex. I, you know, I know it's difficult, I know it's not easy, but he didn't manage it when it was on, not holding your ground against Max Verstappen on turn four, and then eventually getting yourself tangled in an incident, no matter whose fault it was. He definitely didn't avoid that incident with Max Verstappen today. He definitely didn't avoid it. He deliberately put himself on turn, you know, onto the apex of turn two, and then there was an accident for which I'm still blaming Max Verstappen. But that wasn't a perfect weekend, Brad. There, there was so many errors, and you could take out any one of those, and you go, you've, you've won. So yeah, it's, yeah. it's a difficult one for, for Hamilton fans to look at and go, should have should have had way more out of this. For anyone thinking that we or, or, or I am just being particularly biased towards Hamilton and, and don't see fault, I, I fully agree with yeah, everything you just said. Yeah, yeah. Hamilton had the car to go and win this event this weekend and all he needed to do was get the pretend pole position for the sprint race or not get that but get a decent start in the yeah, sprint race itself. Yeah. So that's two opportunities straight away to to just have a clean, easy weekend. And he's missed both of those. Yeah. But the one caveat I'd say is maybe Bottas with a brand new engine was just unbeatable in the qualifying session, in the yeah. time qualifying session. And maybe that is a 10th or two tenths or whatever advantage that Hamilton just couldn't overtake on a track, which is essentially just yeah. mainly straight. So I think Mercedes will be kicking themselves with the bias decision. Easy in hindsight, isn't it? Easy in hindsight to say that. But um, yeah, they probably could have done with him up there from the start. Uh, the Missed Apex Awards going to the medals for the sprint race. Oh man, they they looked bad. They they looked like a pound shop Olympic medal, didn't they? I'm sorry if the person who designed those is... Listen, I'm sure you didn't have the research sources to work with. I don't know, Matt. They didn't look good, did they? Yeah, uh, designed by committee. I'm just going to say that. Maybe. Designed by committee. Sorry, that was too negative. Ultra negative. Um, I apologise. We have a pony award. Bradley Abraham Philpot. Thanks for letting me go first. It's because I only really had one, and it's the obvious one. It's, and that's what you get when you don't leave space. Max oh, Verstappen no. petulantly saying that effectively, wherever I am on the track, you need to get out of the way. And that's what happens. We're going to crash unless you give me all the space I demand, even when I'm not actually entitled to it. So he gets my pony award. Does anyone have a non-Verstappen pony? Because my one was Verstappen also. Uh, Christian? Mine was initially Verstappen, but I just found one because you... Yeah, go on. Look for one. Well, Stroll on Fiddle. 
uh, you don't do that on your. It's just, just don't do it. But he wanted I mean, the position, and it's his team. Yes, 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 yes. His his team, and uh, you just shouldn't do that. I just think when teammates do th- stuff like that, it's just you shouldn't do it. Oh, increasing rumours, by the way, that Verstappen, that Vettel is retiring at the end of the season. I don't like those. Yeah. Aston Martin is uh, is uh, totally declining, saying it's rubbish. Oh, okay. I was going to say, who was going to pick up the litter and turn the lights off and tuck all the other little drivers into bed at night? Tom. He is going to be the next Charlie Whiting. That is, uh, I have a clear goal on that. It's going to happen. Okay. Well, one well, way or the other. Okay. Well, Massey's the next Charlie Whiting. But, okay. Yeah. For mm. as long as it takes until, for, for Vettel, not, until Vettel retires. Yeah. Oh, Matt, Matt, did you have one? Um. Yes, and this is not personal at all. It's Nicholas Latifi claiming that Ocon passed him by cutting the chicane on the radio vociferously. Uh, and mind now, what, yeah, granted, Ocon did eventually, eight laps later, have to give a place back to Latifi, so he may have had a point. But just, just the tone of it. That's all. I'm just saying it was the tone. And before we get out of here, we do like to give an award to our chat room. Comment of the week. A few nominations from you, Matt. All right. Well, uh, regarding our discussion uh, about the Alonzo bike incident, Patty says, plot twist, Matt Trumpets was driving the car and pulled into the car park without looking. Just to Not give yourself true. a voiceover opportunity to exactly. later. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Oh, by the way, uh, there's a few questions about Matt's fee. Shh, 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 shh. Next candidate. Exactly. Um. I think we will go with Rob Asher. In a similar vein, was Matt commenting on Alonzo's bike tires and the role of tire squirt in his accident? Good guess, but no. Are, are there any non-Matt Trumpets related ones? Uh, yes, indeed. Our friend Di Jones said, Horner said that it was 50-50, so don't forget to add the 30% Horner tax to Max's side. That was so interesting. Was- All the people who would normally pile in on Lewis Hamilton, Paul DeResta, the uh, Horner, they were all going, oh, well, it might be 50-50. And that made me go, if there was even a a tiny chance that you could have blamed Lewis Hamilton, they would have piled in there. And it was so funny. uh, It was on the the Sky post-race interviews. You basically had Johnny Herbert all but fist fighting a series of uh, people who uh, don't like Lewis Hamilton very much at all. Exactly. So, um, yeah, uh, hats off to Johnny Herbert for just keeping on swinging and keeping on punching. Uh, any other candidates? I think I have uh, two more. Our friend Avend, would it help if we rename the sprint race Sprinty McSprint Face? Yeah, then, then that will at least give us the vote. It would live on Twitter. And finally, a music-related one, our friend Rolando Perfosi saying, yay, not getting sued for opera music. That's why I strictly use Gregorian chants. Okay, I don't understand that, but that's the cleverest one. Should we give that the prize? Sure, why not? <laughs> Who won it? Absolutely. Rolando Perfosi, yay, not getting sued for opera music. That's why I strictly use Gregorian chants. Comment of the week. Thank you for tuning in to Missed Apex Podcast. I hope my voice held up a tiny bit. I hope my fan wasn't too distracting. And I hope people didn't mind too much watching my sweaty melt face on the YouTube live stream. If you're a YouTube viewer, uh, just subscribe to the podcast so it's in your pocket. So it's ready to go whenever you want to listen to it. And if you only listen on the audio, go and subscribe to the YouTube. Check out what we look like. Some of us are a visual treat. And, And me and Matt are also on that too. You can consider supporting us on Patreon. We are only here, literally only here, because 
you you give us that mandate of supporting us. It's a, a democracy, is this podcasting lark, and you guys are voting enough to keep us not only up and running, but you're giving us the ambition to increase what we're doing, spend more time doing what we're doing, trying to grow, and it's working. The British Grand Prix had 38.2 thousand people tuning in across all formats so we thank you for that we will see you for some midweek contact content if i can manage it if not we'll be back with a new show on sunday and we'll have a race review in two weeks time for the russian grand prix at 8 p.m uk time until next time wherever we see you next work hard be kind and have fun this was missed apex podcast They'd never know, Matt. They'd never know that I had the plague. And then now I'm going to go to all their houses and... and I won't do what the kids are doing. I told you about COVID tag, didn't I, at their school, Matt? Yeah, you told us about that. COVID tag. Horrible. What a horror show, that. They would lick their hands and then run around tagging everyone. And that was COVID tag. That's kids. Kids are awful and terrible. So what's your take on religion, then? Well, you have to tune in to the you have to tune in to the Double Density podcast. Uh, yeah, so the link, wow. Mac, sorry about that. I'll send you some links. Can we put those links in the show notes below? Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high end goods for fifty to eighty percent less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at fifty dollars, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.